almost every little thing, I suppose, can be a starting point or part of artwork. A little phrase you hear from your friend, and somehow it resonates. And then all of a sudden it appears later as part of the solution to a work. Hello and welcome to AI Arts In, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I am Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I am here with Akiko Kotani, who is a visual artist. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak to you. Well, it is my pleasure. I would like to start with telling you a story about your sculpture, the Skyway exhibit. (laughs) It is very large. And I found it so compelling. I walked over and I reached down and I touched it. Even though I know you're not supposed to touch art, but I could not help it. And of course the guard came running over to me. I'm usually very much able to follow rules in in art galleries and museums and not touch things, but the work was so magnetic for me that I broke through all my guardedness of what you do when you follow the rules and behave, and I misbehaved. That's wonderful. I like hearing that. Of course, this is the fifth or sixth time it's been shown. I'm always asked, you know, I'm sure you don't want people to touch it. And I said, you can put a sign up that says, do not touch, but it will be touched. And frankly, I don't mind. (laughs) So tell us about the piece. Uh, The title of the piece is Soft Walls. The title is very straightforward because I think that the work uh, for me is a culmination of many, many things. But the first inspiration I had was at the Foundation Beiler, the museum in Basel, Switzerland. I saw a sculpture by Richard Serra, and it was one wall, steel, corten steel, It was placed indoors, not outdoors. It filled the room in such a way that I was frankly surprised that he placed it in this room because it really, there wasn't much space above and on the sides. It was very contained. Mm -hmm. But as I walked around the piece, a very innocent idea occurred to me, and it was... What if this was soft? Because Richard Serra's work for me is so masculine, it represents steel, hardness, strength. Mm-hmm. There isn't any argument. There is no room for any, <laughs> any argument about, about his sculpture. And frankly, I love his sculpture. So uh, with that thought, I left, and I didn't really think of what I said to myself. We say these things to ourselves many times when we see art in various places. You'll say, well, I wonder what it would look like green, or what it would look like red, or, or what if it was placed this way or that, you know? I mean, these very casual thoughts. Well, in uh, 2010, I believe, two foundations in Pittsburgh offered a really incredible grant. It was a Pittsburgh Foundation and also the Heinz Endowment. And they had this wonderful grant for the first time to do art that goes beyond what you've done before. It is about your prior work, but they're really encouraging you to go further than you've ever gone before. And I left there just really 
almost skipping and thinking, they're talking to me because of my, and all of us as artists, we have to make a living. I taught my entire career until I retired. And to have a grant and to have encouragement to do that, I, I was just absolutely, it was just a wonderful thing. I thought, now is the time to do this project. I also happened to have had, in the last month, in fact, or simultaneously, the award for the 2013 Artist of the Year. And that is an award given to a Pittsburgh artist. They give you three years to complete the show. No, it is not a retrospective. Everything has to be new or something you've been working on. And it was really this confluence of events that I said to myself, this is the time I should do this work. It's been filtering through my head in different forms, in different ways. It simply coalesced when all of these events came together. So when you mean do your work, mm -hmm. your work, your response to Richard Serra's work. Yes, yes. That was, that was the... My initial, I would say, one of the impulses to do this work. Okay. There were many different avenues that fed into it. But I would say the statement I said to myself, what if this was soft? That was key. So I named it Soft Walls, and I saw it as a single wall. There was to be an internal wooden matrix built. It is crocheted, hand crocheted. It's an exaggerated hand crocheted element using approximately 1,500 45-gallon white trash bags that I cut into strips and fashioned this cover for a two walls that 18 feet and 13 feet long. They're both a feet and a half wide and eight feet high. The dangers of falling because of insurance and you know all of, all of these things that enter into showing very large works. I had conceived the entire show. They're very generous in that they give you the entire first floor of this large mansion. Four galleries, huge spaces. So this was one gallery of four. And I envisioned the entire show as being white. I wanted a person to enter the show, enter my space, as I call it, and enter into another world, have a totally different experience. In other words, leave their world behind. Their experience would be all white and somewhat heightened. At least that's what <laughs> I had envisioned. Whether they had that feeling or not is, of course, you know. Um, I think they probably did. I, it was it was an interesting it was an interesting effort on my part, and I did receive very very positive responses. Trash bags, cutting trash bags into strips. I mean, did you have a did you experiment with other materials? And were you shopping in the grocery store? <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine a more perfect solution when seeing the work. Of course it should be white trash bags. <laughs> what else would it be? But 
Sometimes to get to those things that are the only answer is such a leap. The various parts that make up a piece. It's, you know, you, it's very interesting how you, you know, come to a final piece. But one of the pieces of the work was, um, I remember in Hawaii, my sister-in-law's mother used to make cup cozies from recycled plastic bags mm. from the grocery store. And they were just absolutely beautiful. And so I asked, is it possible for me to just have some? Because the form, if you turn it upside down, it looked like a sculpture. It was so beautiful. And of course, her stitches were perfectly in line. And I had that for about 20 years. Got it. And I had it on my wall in my studio. Because I will tell you, and I always thought, you know, I'm going to make a sculpture with that, using that form someday. And I, every time I looked at it, I said, oh, is that the most beautiful form? So that was one part of the total piece. The other piece that's very interesting to me is the whole soft part of your soft wall is crocheted. Yes. And crocheting is a very traditional, associated with women. Exactly. I remember... My grandmother, she both knitted and crocheted. Yes. But I can't imagine crocheting a wall. <laughs> and then I can just I you're 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 not a very large woman. I can just imagine you standing in front of this wall that you have to crochet saying how you know how in the world do I get from this one, you know, the first Stitch of the crochet hook going in. The first time I ever saw it finished was when we installed the show. I don't have a studio that large. I physically cannot handle that much material. The The cover itself weighs hundreds of pounds. Wow. It is. It looks light, but it's not. It's very heavy. And I do need a crew to help me install the work. And that, of course, you know, that is part of the work. As the, your questioning of how do you get from here to there. My work, I think, is full of humor and it's full of what ifs and, oh, maybe I can surprise people by doing it this way or that. Surprise is an element in the work. I've always loved working with my hands. I've always loved working with soft materials, traditional, non-traditional. And for the scale of this work, I needed a very exaggerated stitch. What materials do I use? Then I thought white, plastic. I experimented with about 10 different types of plastic because it had to be a certain texture for the scale. And if a, a person who does crochet looks at it, they would say to me, that is not a traditional stitch. And I said, I think you're right. It isn't, and it's purposeless. Well, what I was thinking as you were talking about, because walls have history. You know, you have stone walls and brick walls and cement walls, and so your wall evokes other walls. Now, we haven't talked too much about the, the image of the woman and this whole work, but that is intrinsic in the work. So it let's is, talk about it. It's that. very much part of the entire work. Crocheting is associated with woman's work, in quotes. 
People usually see women in the corner stitching away. And this is the image that we have. We always have this image of women doing that. I wanted to bring that to light and to show that women also can do work like this with non-traditional materials and with ideas that are really very large and very complex. You described the question when you were looking at Richard Serra's work in Switzerland. You said, yes. I asked myself a very innocent question. What if it was soft? But obviously that's not an innocent question. That's a very, I don't want to say fraught, but it maybe loaded is a, a better word. It is a loaded question. It is a question that sets a lot of things into motion. Absolutely. And that is what I want the work to do. It is a loaded work. Uh, you first see it, it is white, it is large, and you approach it, and then you realize that it is plastic and it's stitched. It's, on many levels, outrageous. But then, I think that it evokes different ideas. Many people come up to me, and of all different walks of life, and they ask me questions about it, and it is absolutely delightful to hear the reaction to the work. What are some of the questions or reactions? Well, the obvious ones. Oh, how long did it take? Why plastic? Um, I remember my, my mother, my aunt, my cousin doing this, but I never can imagine them doing something that like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it does, as you say, it is, I think, a very loaded work. Now, there is also another level of explanation to it, and it is this. Uh, the internal structure is wooden, and it's very stable and strong. And for me, that resembles the woman in the home. Or say now today, the person in the home that cares for the house, mm -hmm. does all the laundry, does all the cooking, does running after children, and of course not very valued. That job is not valued at all in our society. And I must say, around the world, it is assumed. Someone has to do it, and so mother does it. Or the main person in the household. Well, it has to be taken care of right. to run a household. And it is not valued. It's, it's invisible in it's a way. It's invisible, yes. So that is also part of the work. Now, the wooden matrix internally for me represents the this person who is the structure of the home mm -hmm. but who is not seen right and the demands on this person has to be soft have to be there all the time and has to absorb a great deal of what is happening in the household and so that to me is the cover mm -hmm. is the white cover and soft. And also the puddling on the floor, by the way, is an accident. I had designed the work to end at eight feet, but it was much, much longer. So it puddled on the floor. At first I was horrified, but then my curator said, it's beautiful. Yeah. The puddling is just really very lovely. So 
I think it makes it feel more organic, more, Flowing. and maybe perhaps more feminine, mm-hmm. yes. but not delicate. Not femininity as delicate, but femininity as a available and a very strong, a strength yeah. that is it, it's so necessary, but unseen. I think we also need to point out that the work is very beautiful. It's huge. It has presence and it's very solid, but it also has a floating aspect to it. I wanted my entire show, of course, in Pittsburgh to float. So that was a very important concept for me. For me, as a visitor to the Skyway exhibit, something about that wall... Obviously, when you have an exhibit with many artists in it, there is always the the sense of how do the individual works speak to each other, and is it for the audience who attends, is it somehow cohesive? Yes. And the cohesive for the Skyway exhibit was these are artists who are associated with Florida, which, by the way, you are now located in Gulfport, so you are a Florida artist in Pinellas County. But that wouldn't necessarily make all of those things go together. For me, your wall, it really, I, I could see it speaking to almost every other object or image or installation that I can remember. I can see it in my mind speaking to Babs Gold piece. Okay. I can see it in my mind speaking to the Columbine piece. Yes. I can see it in my mind speaking to the, the piece on terrorism. So yes. somehow... That soft wall, prompted by a quote-unquote innocent question in Switzerland many years ago, I think was an element that, that really helped make that the Skyway exhibit an exceptional exhibit as a whole. Thank you. It, it, it's always been shown on its own. They said, you know, your work will be with other work. And I said, you're the curators. So just simply make a very beautiful show. And I just love how it looked. I thought it complemented, it fed each other. Yes. I don't think that that large piece in the middle of the room took away from any of the other pieces. I thought it was a very beautiful room. Yeah. Much of the work I've seen of yours is on a, a different kind of scale, much smaller scale, not quite as three-dimensional. It is true. I would say I've, I've done quite a number of pieces that are hung against the wall. I started to layer my pieces, stitching and layering with silk organza so it is viewed in layers and the idea for those works I wanted the work to recede. I wanted the image to have movement and to have it move away from a person. I remember I remember waking up one morning and I had a dream. I woke up and as I got out of bed the dream started to fall away from me. And I thought, you know, it's interesting how work happens, how images and work happens. And at that moment, I thought, hmm, an image falling away from you, how can I make that into a physical form? And so I started layering uh, stitched works. And what I would do is to have a frontal stitch work. And 
in the subsequent layers, I would simply shift the image, mm -hmm. the same image, but I would shift it up, down, right, or left, depending on, you know, the configuration I was thinking of. And so when you view it, and because it is Sokoganza, it's translucent, and you can see it receding. You can see the image mm. receding from you. And so I did quite a number of that type of work. I also did some work that hung in layers, again, in layers that one can move around. I would say it is sculptural, but again, it is a reference to a two-dimensional plane. So this, I would say, is about the first so-called real three-dimensional work that I've done. You've done some things that are evocative of landscapes, and one of them is about the Bosphorus Sea yeah. in yeah. Turkey. Yes. And I, when I was looking at it, it was, it was as if it was receding. Yes. But it's also a landscape. Yes. Mm -hmm. I never thought of the layer receding as being somehow linked, but now that you asked the question, I see it linked. <laughs> it's a very interesting question for me. I spent uh, two, two and a half years in Istanbul. Wonderful place. It's so evocative. And the Bosphorus, of course, cuts right through Istanbul. And it has lore, it has history, and it is beautiful, dramatic, large. It has waters that connect continents. It is just so dramatic and so beautiful. I think that you could live there your whole life. And I have heard this from Istanbulists, that's what they call themselves. They never tire of the Bosphorus. And I lived there for two and a half years. And every time I approached it, my heart would literally leap because it's of its beauty. It's almost, if you were encountering, uh, let's say, a favorite Van Gogh, Monet, you know, your heart sort of mm -hmm. leaps, you know, there's mm -hmm. an elevation. And you have this feeling, it's so dramatic. And so I had difficulty doing art in Istanbul. I didn't have a studio. I was part of a little room. And when I left Istanbul and came back to Pennsylvania, what I had were memories. And I thought, I wonder if I could do a series of works that I call Views of the Bosphorus, of different towns that I had visited and loved, but do it totally from, you know, recalling my memories. And of course, a memory yes. has emotion connected with it. Yes. And since we're an audio environment, people couldn't see what was happening with your body language and your face as you were describing the beauty of the Bosphorus. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me memory is always layered. It's it, We like to think of ourselves as a videotape or, you know, digital now, but, you know, just recording the, the truth of a, an image. But when we remember something, we also have the emotional memory behind it. So. Yes, I was very aware when I started this series that my initial impression of the memory that I lived and where I am today doing the work, there's a lot of life lived in between. And it is that life lived 
quality that I also wanted to put into the work and to show that memory that we think is solid is not. It is very flexible. It is very fungible and beautiful. That was very much a part of the work. It is a a quality that I wanted to introduce into the work. When I was in Istanbul and not having much space, I went with some few pieces of paper, nice thick paper, and I had some thread. I had two inch square papers and I had a needle. And so I started to stitch little dots onto the paper. And because I didn't have really much space to work, I thought, okay, I'm going to start with one dot and then the next dot will be determined on where the last dot was. So it really was, and I did not want to start with an image. When I did my exercises, I call them exercises and I have shown them they're really quite successful, the little, little uh, works, the little miniatures. That's when I started to stitch on paper because I was limited with my materials. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I came back and now, of course, I was in my studio. I was not limited at all with my materials. And so I started to do sketches and dots and imagining this is the shoreline. And then I think if I remember correctly, the shoreline opposite was like this, and there was a little inlet. And so it really was from the exercises I did in the studio of following my instinct as to where to go next with my dots. I followed the same uh, concept, only this time it was focused on my memory of what I thought Mm-hmm. It should be like. Right. <laughs> there's really, there's, that's very fungible. <laughs> Memory of what I thought it should be like exactly. as opposed to what it was. Being aware that a life, a lot of life had happened in between. Right. And that would also enter into, into the work. Almost every little thing, I suppose, can be a starting point or part of artwork. A little phrase you hear from your friend, you're talking, you could even be gossiping about someone else. And I know I do this a lot, even a stranger. And you hear a phrase and somehow it resonates. And then all of a sudden it appears later as part of the solution to a work. I mean, this to me is so mysterious. It's so wonderful. And I think this is the reason why artwork is so mysterious. There's so much in it. In addition to hundreds, if not thousands of artwork that is in museums, private collections, galleries, you know, I looked at your resume and and I was worried that I would run out of paper as I printed all the (laughs) amazing things you've done. You also write about artwork. Mm -hmm. In order to write about something, you have to translate it into words and you have to be able to talk about it. Mm -hmm. How do you do both? With great difficulty. (laughs) I mean, you will hear this from artists uh, that uh, talking about their artwork, writing about their artwork is the most difficult thing. And for me, it is difficult. Um, I will have to say that I have taught myself to do this because I made my living as a professor. 
And I was really, I had to be able to communicate to my students. And in many ways, I had to teach myself to slow down and to map. When I am on my own in my studio, I don't have to map out my procedures or my process. But when you're a professor, you have to do that. And if you want to be a successful professor, you have to really explain things very clearly to communicate the process to students. I married a professor who he writes philosophy. And so what I oftentimes do, and oh, by the way, I have, I have a learning disability. I'm dyslexic. I can't spell. What I will do is I will write something out and I will have my husband edit. And we will edit and edit and back and forth because his sentences are too complex and long. And I'll say, no, that's not what I want to say. I want it very direct, very simple, but these are the concepts I want to express. And so he has taught me over the years to write. So what are you working on now? Floating cubes. I said, you know, I have this idea. I want to do these floating cubes. By the way, the cubes are 48 inches, two of them, okay? And I want to elevate the cubes and put some lights, recessed lights under it. The lights and, of course, the platform will not be seen. So it will, it will seem as if these... 48-inch cubes would be floating. So that's the, that's the idea that I'm working with. So they are, I, I use this word under advisement, but they are certainly offspring of your self-wall. Yes, yes. And in fact, I also finished a piece I call Melting Walls, which is very simple. It's 10 feet by 10 feet. Very simple. Placed on the wall with it puddling on the floor. Melting Wall. Being in Florida, it's a wonderful experience for me, and I'm very happy to be here. This has been a very delightful conversation, and I am so pleased that you are a Florida artist. Thank you for saying that. Well, thank you, Akiko Kotani, for joining us. Thank you. This is Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, also known as AI, the Creative Pinellas Podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.